A reading from Paul's first letter to Timothy. I am grateful to Jesus Christ our Lord who has strengthened me because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. Even though I was formerly a blasphemer, a persecutor, and a man of violence, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But for that very reason, I received mercy, so that in me, as in the foremost, Jesus Christ might display the utmost patience, making me an example to those who had come to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of the ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Matthew. Glory to you, O Lord. Take care that you do not despise one of these little ones. For, I tell you, in heaven their angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven. What do you think if a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray? Does he not leave the ninety-nine on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly I tell you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of your Father in heaven that one of these little ones should be lost. This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Friends, it is good to be with you here this morning in worship. Uh, would you pray with me as we come into this time? May the words and meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and redeemer, and our great shepherd. Amen. Uh, we started this summer series by suggesting the analogy that parables are the murals of the Bible. Murals, right? They're meant to capture your attention, not just once, but every time you happen to be passing by them. And each time you pick up something new, Murals tell a story of a place. And so far, the parables we have observed have primarily focused on the characteristics of the kingdom of God, what it is like and how it grows, that it's present, and not just in corners of the, of, of the earth, but scattered everywhere. This morning, if we can continue that mural analogy, we move to a different neighborhood where the murals have a different feel to them. Jesus is on the move, literally. He's, uh, he's been in the surrounding regions proclaiming the coming of God's kingdom in word and deed and through some of these, uh, these parables. But now he has shifted his face towards Jerusalem. And the parables we will look at this month are the ones he tells on his way. These parables, they'll highlight how the kingdom is coming. That it will not come by force from the top, but it will come from below, namely his death and resurrection. And we begin to see this as Jesus segues into this parable this morning. Look at verse 10. This is what he says. 
take care that you do not despise one of these little ones. For I tell you, in heaven, their angels continually see the face of my Father in heaven. Who are the little ones? You might guess, but hold up. Just a few moments before this, Jesus has told the disciples that, for the second time, that he will die and rise three days later. Again, this marked shift towards Jerusalem. But the disciples obviously don't get it, because just moments later, they ask the question to Jesus, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? So Jesus asks for the kid from the back row, one with the crusty boogers in his nose, to come up. And he says this to the disciples, truly, I tell you, unless you change and become like children, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever becomes humble like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever welcomes one such child in my name welcomes me. What is Jesus doing? This call to become like a child, it's not a matter of returning to some simple time or innocent state, or it's not a call to innocent faith or just easy believism. Um, During this time, children were actually regarded as less than human. And it was the prevailing even wisdom of the day that a childhood is something that should be beaten out of a child um, as soon as possible. Children were at the bottom, the bottom of society. And Jesus is calling his disciples to the bottom because that's where they will understand what he's doing. From there, they will see what God's grace looks like and how far it goes. And that's the transition into these parables. And we'll see Jesus provide these murals showcasing the graciousness of his kingdom. In our parable this morning, Jesus gives us a story of a sheep. The bottom is where the little ones are, as well as the lost ones. And I want us to consider this parable uh, through these two ideas of lost and found. So first, lost. Jesus tells the story about a sheep who's wandered off, gone by itself astray. Now everyone at the time knew that that a stray sheep was a dead sheep. They're not known to fend for themselves, much less make it back to the herd. And in fact, a sheep, if it's wandered off, it's likely going to give up and just lie down at some point. Maybe you've had that experience of being completely and utterly lost, not knowing if each step was taking you closer to being found or just farther lost. Maybe you've got an early childhood memory of being lost in the mall with your parents nowhere to be seen. I was five years old. I was only lost for 30 seconds, but it was enough to know that the world is a scary place. We were staying at a bed and breakfast, and I wandered into the wrong room where there was three giant poodles. That's the end of that story. That's all I'm going to say about that. To be lost, it's scary. It's disorienting. It's confusing. You're vulnerable. Now, GPS on our phones is likely uh, cut into the number of experiences where we feel literally lost. But I imagine you don't have to go too far back in your week to think of uh, an experience or a feeling of being lost. Lost 
in a big decision, maybe at work or about your own life, not really sure what's next for you. Lost in about every parenting decision that you make. Why don't they just give us a, uh, a manual, right? Lost when you look in the mirror, you feel estranged from yourself. Or lost even spiritually, not knowing even what you know or think about God. Whether you think that the story of Jesus is actually believable, whether it's worth following, the one sheep has wandered off. Then there's the shepherd. And Jesus asks, what do you think? If a shepherd has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go in search of the one that went astray? What do you think? I think the disciples are thinking two things here. One, they're thinking, yeah, the shepherd should go. This is his vocation after all. This is his livelihood, this, his livestock. He's responsible for those in his care. And then there's that thing about Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Jesus tells this story based on the obvious yes to this question. Yes, the shepherd will go search. But at the same time, the disciples are thinking, the kingdom is here. We don't have time for lost sheep. The disciples are busy asking questions about who's the greatest and wondering what's going to happen for those who have stayed, who have not strayed, how they will stack up in the kingdom. The disciples are saying the kingdom is here and there's no time for lost sheep. And Jesus is saying the kingdom is here and that's all I have time for. The shepherd seeks and searches for the lost. It is the will of the Father in heaven that not one of these little ones should be lost. I want to bring this story into this moment, this moment of worship. Maybe you've wandered in here for the first time. Maybe it was because a friend invited you, or maybe it's uh, because you thought you should go back to church. You haven't been to a service in a long time. Or maybe you've wandered in here for the hundredth time because it's something you do every single week. It's a rhythm that you mostly prefer, but mostly it's just something you do. We all come with varying degrees of belief and trust that God is who he says he is and that the good news of Jesus actually has bearing in our life. We all come with varying degrees of trust in that. And for the wide variety of stories that are represented here, this story says that God's response is the same. He seeks you. He's seeking you. He goes after those who are his. You are one of his, and this is something he doesn't grow tired of. He is not wearied by your wandering, if I can say that. And then we come into this moment in our service of confession. And our varying stories are brought into one confession, one voice, speaking to, the God, to God the ways that we feel lost, estranged, separated from him, from one another, even from ourselves. The one lost sheep is never alone in its lostness. And we confess together 
even if we don't fully understand our own story and what it will mean to move forward. We confess that the belief that God seeks us, that he's not passive, that he's not waiting for us to get our act together. We confess that he's active. And we do this every week in our worship service that we might know what it looks like for God to be active in our daily lives. We bring our confusion to him. We bring our doubts. We bring our alienation. We bring to him all the ways we are lost. God seeks the lost ones. Second, found. The resounding emotion of this parable is joy. The rejoicing. The shepherd who finds the one lost sheep rejoices over it more than the 99 that never went astray. In Luke's gospel, we get even more of a picture of what this rejoicing might have looked like. Uh, When the shepherd comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found the sheep that was lost. A party is held over the sheep that was found. And I'm imagining a feast and dancing. And the kind of dancing that nobody cares how silly they look. They've been found. It's full-blown joy. The God who seeks and searches is the God who rejoices over every single one of his found sheep. If I can uh, continue in our analysis of our worship service, this is what we're doing when we receive the pardon after confession each week. That we have been found in God's grace, God's forgiveness, mercy, and love. In Christ, the words that are spoken into our confusion and our wandering. And again, this is something that we do here so that we know what it means in our daily lives, in the ordinary walking through of our weeks with the accusing voices that we hear from within and from without. I failed. I screwed up again. We take God's pardon into our weeks. You are my beloved. You are forgiven. You are mine. Lost and found. Confession and pardon. This is the breathing in and breathing out of, the, of life in the kingdom of God, in his gracious kingdom. I recently saw the documentary that came out this past month about Fred Rogers, Won't You Be My Neighbor? Uh, for those who grew up on Mr. Rogers' uh, neighborhood, this is um, it's a wonderful and nostalgic uh, documentary and full of his sweaters, as you might imagine. But it's also an amazing portrait of this man's life. Fred Rogers, who was an ordained minister, uh, created a children's television show back in the 60s on PBS. And he created the show under the conviction that TV was an amazing tool to speak directly to the little ones. That the space between him and the camera and him and the kids, it was a sacred space. And one of the things that this documentary captures so well is just how radical this TV show was. Uh, for one, it, it, was, it was so different than all the other children's programs. It, it, lacked, it, wasn't, it wasn't bright and flashy and uh, silly. It was straightforward. Conversation, storytelling, singing. And he spoke right into the confusing issues of the day, taking seriously the emotional life of the children. In the first week, 
the very first week of the program. It covered war and borders. This is, of course, during the 60s, during the Korean War. And in the second week, he spoke to assassination. This is right after Robert Kennedy had been assassinated. The first two weeks, he spoke a clear message into the confusion of childhood and for families as well. And by this, he communicated that kids mattered, that they were special. Another theme that kind of goes throughout this documentary is this question of wondering, is this guy, the way that we see him on TV, really the guy in real life? Is this how he really is? And you're sort of wondering as you watch, waiting for that secret to come out or this other hidden life. I don't know what that says about our time, but that's like the question you're sort of wondering about. And the truth is, Mr. Rogers was Fred Rogers. That is who he was. And what's fascinating about this documentary is not just that he was this remarkable man. What's fascinating is the effect that it has on the audience. I've never been in a theater where everyone is weeping throughout most of the documentary. And maybe it's because these tears were one of joy because of the singular message that you are worthy of being loved. And maybe it's tears of sadness because we live in a day where this message seems so radical and so unexpected to hear from another human being. We need other human beings to help us believe the word that God speaks directly to us in Christ. Ultimately, this is why Jesus gives this parable. He gives his disciples a story because he wants them to take care of the little ones and the lost ones, the least and the last. Those in our midst, we ourselves, he wants them to participate in the very work that he's doing. Now, shepherding is a word that's used frequently, common, in church context, as we talk about discipleship, and right, it's the, it's the task that's given to pastors and elders to lead the, the church in the work of shepherding. And so here I am, shepherding us, and, and I'm wondering what it might look like, what it might be for us to be a place where the little and the lost can be seen and found. What it might mean to be a place where questions and confusion are taken seriously and with compassion, where wandering is a place that can happen in our very midst. The church of Jesus is to be a place where the lost can be found. And I think it starts with becoming a people who are aware of our own vulnerability, the way we ourselves feel lost, in need of God's love and forgiveness. Henry Nouwen, in his little book, In the Name of Jesus, says this. He says, the mystery of ministry, or we could say the mystery of shepherding, is that we have been chosen to make our own very limited and very conditional love the gateway for the unlimited and unconditional love of God. Our love as human beings is very conditional. We will, we will mess this up in many ways. We will hurt one another. We will fail to extend grace when that's what's needed. And yet, God doesn't give up. This is how he has chosen to make his love known. Jesus is the good shepherd 
who is patient with his sheep, who has laid down his life for his sheep, who goes out of the way to seek and save the lost, that we might rejoice together in being found. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let's pray. Our good shepherd, we are so often lost, having no imagination for what it would even mean to be found. And yet, you do not wait for us, but you come after us. You seek. You seek us in your love so that we might know the mercy that you extend, that we might know what it is like to be seen and to be known and to be loved. You do this because of your great love for us in Jesus Christ, and we give him thanks. Meet us, we pray. Continue to shepherd us in our worship service so that we might be guided into the fullness that you have promised us. It's in your name we pray. Amen. The